Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Speak Out Loud podcast. We are so glad you're joining us again today. And Stacy, we have some really special guests joining us for today's episode. And Absolutely. We are joined by two uh, eating disorder professionals that mm-hmm. we have you've worked with closely, and now we're getting to work with another one closely as well. So, uh, man, we can't wait to talk to Claire and to Alex. And I know particularly Claire has really been impactful in your life just as you've worked with her. So I'm going to let you kind yes. of introduce Claire. Um, well, Something that we talk about a lot in our podcast um, that we don't shy away from is one of the reasons I can be here today and have a podcast and and, and be able to speak in pe- into people's lives is because of, of being away for inpatient treatment about seven years ago. I went to Laureate Hospital and Treatment Center for anorexia. And uh, when I got there, um, I wasn't planning to stay. So I only packed like two things. And so, I thought I <laughs> was sick exciting. enough to be there. And I got it out and looked like a deflated balloon. Yeah. Anyway, uh, when we when I got there, I realized that I was even um, kind of uh, sicker than I thought. And so uh, the first few weeks that I was there, uh, we realized that it was going to be a lot harder for me to eat and keep the food down and to also keep um, any nutrition in um, in other ways. Like, for example, my metabolism was just really high. And so those things were kind of working um, against me at first. But Claire um, met me right where I was. And uh, she is a very petite person, but she is strong and she knows what it takes to help people live. And so um, when I was in the hospital portion of it, she would come to my room and we would make a plan in order for me to eat because that's why you go. I just want to be honest with you. I don't like I just tell you when you go to treatment, it's so that you can gain nutrition. And I always call it nutrition um, so that that way you can live life to its fullest. And so when I got there and Claire was assigned to me as my dietitian, that's exactly what happened. And so she is resilient when you don't feel like you can be. And I just couldn't be more thankful for you, Claire. So thank you for both of you. But um, and I'm getting to know Alex, but Claire, thank you for your time in this and your time in my life. So I appreciate you so much. And I love you so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Claire has definitely made a huge impact in our lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, Claire and I have had a chance to serve together for the last several years on the Oklahoma Eating Disorder Association Board. And uh, now I've mm-hmm. joined joining our board is Alex Myers-Ellett. And Alex, I should say Dr. Alex Myers-Ellett. Uh, mm-hmm. Alex is a PhD specializing in eating disorder treatment, but also as a professor helping to train other future counselors, which we know that there is a huge need of that across here in Oklahoma, but just even across our country. So really excited to get to hear from both of you today as we talk about eating disorders, as we talk about uh, just kind of mental health too at large and the impacts you're seeing as your uh, experts in this field, as you treat patients every day. So we want to let you guys both share a little bit about yourself, but maybe even share, I know you two have worked together closely in the past. And so mm-hmm. share a little bit of that history as well, maybe what has drawn you to work with eating disorder patients so closely and make that part of your specialty. And then we have some questions. We have some questions we'd love to ask you and just hear from from both of you on. Okay. Well, thank you, Stacy, for the sweet introduction. And you too, Doug. Um, So like Stacy was saying, I am a registered and licensed dietitian and um, a certified eating disorder dietitian as well and um, an approved supervisor so that I can help train other dietitians as well as other types of clinicians in the, that are interested in getting involved in eating disorders. Um, I worked at Laureate for about nine and a half years as a dietitian and also as the dietary manager for the program for about five of those years. So got lots of really good hands-on experience with all different types of clients and people from all over the country, which was a really unique mm-hmm. I think, position to be in. And then also got to know a lot of really cool clinicians, Alex being one of them. Yes. Which mm-hmm. I'll talk about her in a second. <laughs> um, but just a little bit about me personally, I'm married. I live here in Tulsa. And actually, we just fostered and ended up adopting a new dog. Her name oh, is wow. Tina. And what's she the, is. What's her name? 
Tina. Oh, okay. Tina, she's very wild. She's four. Uh, Alex and I were talking about this before, but I think we're going to have to send her off to some training. She's a little, <laughs> a little out of control, but she's super sweet. And um, I'm newly an aunt. So I have a little nephew named Henry and a little niece named Hattie. Oh. Um, so that's been really fun part of this year for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and about a year and a half ago, I left Laureate and opened up a private practice with another dietitian whose name is Natalie. And mm-hmm. we've been doing this um, in the Tulsa area. And it's been really, really great. And Alex and I actually worked at Laureate together for mm-hmm. how many years? Like four years? Yeah, I think three or four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, it's really cool now. It just all kind of worked out, but she and I share an office space together. So mm-hmm. we're still working mm-hmm. together really closely and share several clients together. So oh, it's been, great, yeah, it's mm-hmm. been really, really fun. So I'll let Alex introduce herself now. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you all for having me here. And like sure. Doug said, I'm excited to just kind of get to know everyone a little bit better. I, Claire and I, it's funny before when we worked at Laureate, we really, I worked on adolescent and she worked on the adult unit. Our paths were just kind of, Hey, like <laughs> high and by. And now I mean, oh my gosh, she's just a dear friend to me and I get to see her all the time. So it's really, really cool how um, our paths just kind of cross and mm-hmm. we see each other a lot more now. So oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So um, just a little bit about, about me and my journey and how I landed here. Um, one of my, actually my very first job out of undergrad, um, I came from a town, Lawton, Fort Sill in Oklahoma. I moved up here to Tulsa. And to take a tech job at Laureate in the adolescent program. So I had family here and that was just my first, um, well, it was like my second job, like in the field, but my first role with eating disorders. And I just really, really loved, um, you know, the girls and my time there. And I bounced around and did lots of other things, but, um, you know, went on and got my master's and my PhD at University of Arkansas and um, I actually got my, I'm a registered play therapist. So I spent a lot of time working with littles. Um, when I say littles from like two to, you know, 17. And I really um, had a heart for the, you know, young kids and had the opportunity once I was finishing up my dissertation to come back to Laureate um, as an adolescent therapist. And um, so, you know, kind of revisiting that program that kind of got me started and um, just, just really great work there. And um, I guess, gosh, when did, when did we leave? It was just working out at this same time and we had no communication like about it. Like literally the exact same day we both oh, yeah. resigned. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we, we had, had no idea. Yeah. It was just like, wait, oh, you're leaving too. <laughs> so yeah, our first, um, year we were in different offices. And so I went ahead and I accepted a, a position at Northeastern state, the Broken Arrow campus as assistant professor. psychology and counseling department. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, teaching graduate students and future counselors is something that's, I mean, really close to my heart. Um, so I can just, you know, kind of pass the torch and keep it going across generations is kind of the hope, but, Mm -hmm. um, I still have my private practice. That's where I get to see Claire's lovely face all the time. And, um, it's, it's funny when I first started my private practice, I really wasn't sure if it would continue to be just eating disorders. And it's just kind of naturally worked out maybe about 80% of uh, who I see are, are, are young women or, or teens struggling with eating disorders. So, okay. um, you know, sometimes it's just, you don't expect to land there, you just end up there. So it's been really great. Well, Alex, I wanted to uh, say something about texts um, that you started out as mm-hmm. one, because um, that is a, a job that really doesn't get enough kudos mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, a tech, yes. in my in my definition, is someone who does the grunt work with you. Mm-hmm. Um, techs sit at the table with you, help manage the milieu, uh, just do things um, that take a lot of patience and help you see it through so that that person is willed in possibly to the hospital and leaves walking out Mm -hmm. because of the endurance that you and the time you put in with them. Um, I miss some of the texts from Laureate as much as I miss anyone else, because when you're struggling through a meal, one of the 
you know, techs can, you know, come over and assist you and help your group know how to rally behind you and focus on, on other things so that that way you can do what you need to do in order to accomplish your meal plan at a hundred percent. And so thank you for doing that job. (laughs) That is a huge stamp on my life is the job of the techs. And sometimes they have to do the things that are unrecognized. So thank you so much. Yeah. Now I ended up all the way over here <laughs> um, doing things full time mm-hmm. and everything also. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and as many of our listeners will know, you know, Laureate has played a huge role, Stacy, in your life and our life as a family. I think I can't remember the first time, Claire, I'm sure it was during a family week. I had a chance to meet you and, and, and hear from you and begin to learn and, and also understand better. And so, you know, that place is special to us. It was a place of, it was your hardest place ever, but maybe one of the best places ever. And and I think we, you know, we speak very highly of it. And um, it's been a life changer for us. And I think, you know, as we jump into some things we wanted to ask you guys today, um, just one of the things, Alex, you just said that you maybe weren't expecting to treat, you know, mm-hmm. just maybe focus quite so heavily on eating disorder patients. Mm-hmm. We can, it's become a big piece of your practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly don't want to put words in your mouth, but I almost wonder kind of, is it, is that just reflective also of the growing need maybe that there's, there's a need out there and there's, you know, mm-hmm. there's not, a, there, there's limited resources available. I know we talk a lot about that in our Oklahoma eating disorder association, especially for more rural parts of our state. But, but is that something that both of you and your perspectives are you seeing? And maybe we just jump into that first question, you know, how have you seen these last several years even, impact mental health, but particularly mm-hmm. eating disorders and those maybe maybe needing some help as they struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll start. So when I was thinking through this question, um, the first thing that came to mind, obviously, is COVID happened. Mm-hmm. And right. um, mm-hmm. just reflecting on when Alex and I decided to start our private practices was July of 2020, so right in the middle of COVID. And I was mm. like, what am I doing? <laughs> Crazy idea, but um, mm. just really felt the need for um, more outpatient providers right. to support people in the Tulsa and Oklahoma area. Um, just because, you know, COVID isolated people so much mm-hmm. and eating disorders, I think, um, in general, keep people isolated. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, I think, a huge struggle for people not being able to have face-to-face contact. You know, even therapy sessions, nutrition sessions went virtual. Um, you know, a lot of clients, I think, with eating disorders struggle with body image stuff. And so having to look at yourself on a screen all day, every day for either work or for therapy sessions was particularly difficult. Absolutely. Um, you know, fear of being in public, not being able to mm-hmm. grocery stores so much changed so quickly. So over the past couple of years, I think that COVID um, has definitely impacted mental health and particularly those with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Claire, and I just to piggyback off what she said, um, I was thinking the same thing about COVID and it's, it, we have to just recognize the, the impact that it's had on on everyone. Like we were just mm-hmm. so disconnected from people and mm-hmm. um what I hear most from my clients is, um, you know, they were at home. So they were spending a lot of time with their own thoughts. And a lot of times um, that's not a great place for people to be, especially if you really do struggle with low self-esteem or Mm -hmm. or body image, um, depression, whatever. So um, I think it just brought maybe some things to the surface. And then if you're really isolated and you don't have accountability and um, you're not out in the world where people can say, hey, are you doing okay? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm worried about you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that can really spiral and and uh, get people, you know, in this place where we found them to be struggling even more just, right. being, you know, at home. So um, I think and just for my practice, it, it came where there's like this big need where I really want to help those, you know, struggling with eating disorders. And then it also was just, oh my gosh, I can't just keep turning people away because there's just so many people that need it. Right. Um, and unfortunately we just don't have uh, a huge plethora of providers in this area. So if I can help to be one of them, of course, <laughs> I want to do that. Sure. Well, well Stacy, you, you said, so we asked this question almost a year ago and talking about, and you, I remember you saying, 
you know, for you personally, 2020 from a mental health perspective was, was maybe one of the hardest years, but now kind of looking two years past and some of the things that you went through last year, I could say probably from a two-year perspective, those were two of the hardest years for you. Absolutely. I just was floundering. Um, just the accountability. I don't care if I've been home seven years, two years, 10 years. Accountability, when I've struggled for 30 years, I don't know what if that will ever not be a key piece to my continued recovery. Um, because I don't know, I just feel like having a place, whether it be on the screen, but especially face to face is really mm-hmm. important to somebody, whether it's eating disorder and depression, anxiety, right. one of the pieces alone. Um, I just need somewhere to be. I need people to be expecting me to be somewhere. But also I wanted to say about y'all having the private practice, how wonderful that is, because I know y'all probably both experienced this when you were working with solely inpatient people, is that you would have to um, mark people off that they needed to go on home because their treatment inpatient was over. Um, But you knew sometimes you were sending them home to no team. Right. Mm-hmm. That had to be the hardest thing when I had friends there going home to no accountability other than if I picked up my phone. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, we appreciate y'all doing that. But what have y'all found about that um, as far as having your own private practice now? Well, I found and like I said, I co-own my private practice with another dietitian and we in the when we started this were not quite sure how soon we would be full and have a full practice going and it happened um both thankfully and i think unthankfully way faster than either one of us i anticipated and like alex said we're at the point now where we're having to turn people away or refer people out just because we're full um I think a lot of other providers in the Tulsa and Oklahoma City area are full as well. So it's, you know, professionally a good problem to have, but personally really, really difficult um, because right. I think as a therapist, as a dietitian, you get into that that field because you like helping people, you want to help people. And um, it's hard when you're not able to do that just because, you know, there's not enough time or resources to do so. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just so complex, you know, it's not, um, it's just a not easy disease to treat. Uh, mm-hmm. It's hard. It takes a lot of work, not only for the, your, for the client and patient going through it, but for the providers. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. um, it's tough. And we look at, you know, when we were an inpatient, I don't know if Clary had that same experience, but sometimes you'd send people off and you're like, Oh, I don't know about the, their team. And I wish they had more support. You just have this, uh, unfortunately, this idea of like they might be back, and that's the reality. It's you know almost eighty percent do return. It's just it's a hard disease to beat. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, being on this other side, on outpatient, we're kind of doing the opposite of like how long can we keep you out of the hospital? We want you to stay <laughs> right. in your home, and we want you to have an as normal life as you can. So it's just kind of a weird uh, shift, but mm-hmm. yeah. that's a really good point. It's- Different and I think for us, a lot of our journey was, you know, for years and years, Stacy was pursuing and, and very active and committed to outpatient treatment. And I think, you know, your team was strong here at home and, and helped you get to realize, you know, just you need to get over that hump. And the inpatient piece was to get over that hump. You were really, or really just maybe to reverse the course is better even than, than saying get over the hump. But, um, you know, too, while it was scary, I think you've been great, Stace, to speak about and transparently about how powerful the experience was. While it was really difficult, it was also life-changing. And certainly having to go into an inpatient program in no way was a failure of the outpatient. It was just the next step that was needed because the disease, you know, you were battling a disease that was just very, very um, huge in your life to have to deal with. So. Yeah. You know, Alex, one thing I was just thinking, too, to ask you is, is you're working with students and training future counselors. Is there um, amongst that group, is there a focus on, you know, eating disorders? Do you think there's a kind of a new, you know, new uh, wave of, of counselors that are recognizing that need and going to be entering the field? Or is it more varied in what they're wanting to, to focus on and pursue? 
Yeah, um, I would love if there was a new wave. So if I can be a part of that, I mean, I certainly um, speak from my experiences. And I think the students appreciate from any professor that they have someone who's been in the field. And um, it's not for everybody. But if I can talk about my experiences and saying there's a high need, um, I have I usually teach our practicum and intern, you know, our internship courses. So um, I've helped you know students now transition and become interns at Laureate. Um, and, you know, just having like the right fit, somebody who's really passionate about it in it for the right reasons and has great skills to, um, you know, to kind of move forward and, and be the next generation of providers. Um, so I hope, yeah, I hope there's a big interest. That would be lovely. Okay. Well, and I'd say too, with both of y'all, it's such a um, a great thing that y'all work together and people can see a therapist and then go in the same office and see a dietitian. Um, so much of the, so many of the people that I have uh, known with eating disorder, one of the hardest things that we've all had to juggle was that the eating disorder dietitian and the therapist might be saying different things that don't coincide. And so the patient can or the client cannot sometimes get in the middle of that. And one thing I've noticed about myself and when I was inpatient is that we all had similar uh, qualities and characteristics of people pleaser. And so when you've got two uh, professionals who you want to um, do the right thing um, because you're going to them, you need their counsel, you need their help. And then one is telling you something pretty opposite of what the other one is telling you to do that will not work together in order to help you see progress both mentally and physically, it can just be really overwhelming to the to the client, to the patient. And so when you when you're in the when you work together, even if you're not in the same office, if you have that communication, that's just such a huge gift to us. And you know, for those of you who are listening, I know that that is something that you may not be able to have. I understand that. But just signing those papers to let them have open conversation when you trust both your dietitian and your therapist is so important so that that way they're not talking about you, but they're talking with you in order to sustain your recovery or to get you where you need to go and be on the same page about that. Mm -hmm. Claire and Alex, how is you work with eating disorder patients and, and you've both talked about it. We've experienced it. You know, it really does take a team and the team is part of that recovery process. So how did you say your roles as you work with patients are unique, maybe from each of your unique perspectives? But where also is that crossover where either you're doing similar things or maybe working closely alongside each other to to help a patient move forward? Yeah, so. I am a dietitian. I'm by no means a therapist, but I think in working with individuals with eating disorder, you need to have a certain kind of skill set to be able to navigate hard conversations, right. um, confront mm -hmm. things that aren't congruent, um, ask the hard questions, you know, really do the hard push. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I know myself as a dietitian, if I'm having a hard time with that, or if I'm not quite sure where that lands. I'll go mm -hmm. knock on Alex's door or we work with another therapist here in the office as well. Or um, when I was at Laureate, I would always go to the therapy team as well to be like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Does that sound right? So I think professionally, um, it's important to work with a, a team also because eating disorders, like Alex was saying, are a difficult disease to manage and there's lots of layers to it and stuff I know comes up in, in my sessions that is not necessarily a nutrition related thing, but what's hard is in an eating disorder, the stressors, the anxieties, the traumas that happen to our clients mm -hmm. affect their eating. <laughs> so it's weird. Yeah. They're like so tightly connected. Um, mm -hmm. So just, I think professionally as a dietitian, kind of knowing where my line is and where my role is so that I don't cross over into therapy things. And likewise, I think with therapists, I don't want to speak for Alex and I'm sure she'll touch on it. Don't necessarily always want to step into the food stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, um, you know, process that with them, come up with like coping skills for how to manage urges, but don't necessarily process the traumas or yeah. the certain situations that do come up. So I'm really working on, um, 
in session with eating disorder clients, challenging food rules, beliefs, where did I learn things? Um, I had Wendy's for lunch today with the client. So doing food challenges with them in session and trying to stick to those types of things, meeting a client to maybe grocery shop who has anxiety spending money on food or figuring out how to organize a grocery list. So mm. really trying to work on those skill sets. And then if something comes up in session, I'll email or call the therapist like, hey, this came up. They need to talk to you about it. That's yeah. so good. Okay. Yeah. And I think a big um, way that I don't know how other people do it, but just Claire and I and within our own little office, um, if we see a need, you know, one of us gets a client and we, we see, man, it would be really great if you got that extra support, um, mm-hmm. whether that's from a dietitian or from a therapist, if you're seeing, you know, on my end, if it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't claim to know all of these things about food. I, I have very broad, um, you know, whether it's experience with it or just, um, I'm not the professional. I'm not the expert in the food realm. Will we talk about food? Absolutely. But I would yeah. much rather have them be visiting with Claire and um, you know, really nailing down their specifics. You know, like Stacey, you were talking about like your meal plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think Claire, we've done, we have a, a great little relationship where she, the same thing, <laughs> she sees things pop up and she's like, that's pretty deep. I think you might need to talk to a therapist about. Mm-hmm. Um, so just having our own roles and respecting that, but we work together. And I, like Stacey said, you're, we're all working together. We're with each other. We're not talking, you know, just about them. Um, I think that's really important. And um, for them to know, like, I'm cared for and I'm supported. And um, I by no means will make food recommendations. Sometimes I might have questions and I'm like, I'll just ask, you know, <laughs> I'll ask Claire what she thinks, because I don't, I don't know if this is a, a good direction for them to go food wise. So um, just really nice to have that partnership for everyone, I think. Yeah. And I think, I'm sorry, go ahead, Claire. Oh, I was going to say, I think you're right too, Stacy. Clients, I know uh, whether I'm sharing client with Alex or another therapist, they like to know that we are communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the time, sometimes they're like, she told you that, or y'all talking uh-huh. about that. <laughs> you know, yeah. but mm-hmm. I think it makes them, it, it does, you feel cared for. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, most eating disorder clinicians in the field, do really have a deep care for their clients. Um, yeah. So that's, I, I think, too. working as a team. Yeah. I think so, too. And um, something I just wanted to say about that is if you're listening and you're the one with the eating disorder or you are in the life of somebody with an eating disorder, that um, please know that it is a mental illness, but it does lie. So when um, and, and have schemes about it and everything and secrets. So when you are being talked to about what your eating disorder is telling you and what is going on with your eating disorder and somebody else knows about that and kind of knows how to offset that some, that is really frustrating, but it's part of you getting well. Um, and I just want to say, you know, please know that 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 is not the person's intention, but it is what it is. And um, sometimes you just have to know that, you know what, I can try to fool my therapist, but my eating disorder specialist, my dietitian, is not going to know this. That's not necessarily going to happen. And I know that that to people who don't have eating disorder may not think of that or anything like that and think that the person is just lying through their teeth. Well, it's, it's a very mean disease. It's a very mean illness. And sometimes you need that accountability from both ends just to be able to know, you know what, I can take the pressure off myself because I know I'm not going to get away with it. And that, as hard as that is, can also be freeing. Well, out of, out of our experience, I think, and, and I would love to hear you guys, um, your perspectives on this. I think, at least for me, I can say, I underestimated for many years probably the power of the eating disorder. And so to think, oh, well, can I just, you know, what what help can I get to beat this, right? Can I just go to a therapist? And we recognize there are costs and different insurance covers different things. And, and we've wrestled with that. We've we've had to walk that road and uh, not Claire, but we've owed, <laughs> we've owed a dietitian a lot of money before. So, you know, we've, we've had to get caught up on those things and we get it. But, um, at the same time, I'd just love to hear your perspectives on, you know, we underestimated what it would take, I think, to gain forward traction. And Stacy's still on the journey, but 
but to be able to, to, to get through this, is that common? And in, in from your experience and, and two, um, in most cases, does it take kind of a dual or, or even multi-person team to help a patient really get to a place of, of living in consistent recovery? That's a really good question. I think it depends on several things. Um, longevity of illness, um, kind of what that client's current living situation, what their stressor environment stuff is going on for them, willingness to get better. I mean, you can have all the best people in the whole world, but if that client's not willing to do the work and they are just clinging on to their illness, that makes it a huge challenge for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think working with a full team, um, I think any eating disorder clinician would agree is, I think, key to getting well. Because um, I think Stacy touched on it, like you need your therapist to talk about issues. You need your dietitian to help with food. And the other missing person is a, medic- a medication prescriber. So either a primary care or a psychiatrist um, to help manage anxiety depression, um, and other just mental illness that could be going on that is often involved with eating disorder. Right. Yeah. And I, I agree a hundred percent. I think, um, the challenge comes when there are those barriers, you know, like Doug, you were talking about like the cost and, Mm -hmm. um, resources, maybe there's just not providers or there's wait lists. And so, um, even if you just have like one clinician or one provider for a, a little bit, um, if they're, if, if they're working with you and um, recognizing like, hey, these are your needs, and the hope would be at least until you can get into a psychiatrist, maybe just your PCP, you know, talk to them about prescribing you some meds or, um, you know, just kind of navigating like, well, what do we do until we can get you in to somebody? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think just having that support would be really ideal. You just can't have enough people, community in your life when you're trying to fight for life. Yeah. To have mm-hmm. not just quality of life, but to really be able to live it out, walk it out and thrive. And I know that I can even still struggle with that so much. And I can feel guilty about the fact that my care does cost. And um, But you know, one thing I have learned is that my job isn't to just worry about the finances of it. My job, because that makes me not hungry. My job is to go and learn what I need to learn and be held accountable and to be honest and to work the program. Some days I fail at that wholeheartedly, but what I, what I've gained from a team is tools in the accountability that I can't say enough about, but also the fact that in like you're saying, anybody that can come along and know what you're going through and can help to support you and love on you when everything in your mind is screaming for you not to fight is a plus. If you're struggling with, oh no, I don't want our insurance account to go towards this, or I don't want to do this or this. I was the mom and it wasn't my children. I was the mom who is sick. And um, I really battled that and struggled with that. But what they wanted and what your family and support team wants for you is for you to be here, for you to live. So to to go ahead and put those, you know, excuses and also the guilt aside and just go, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it, whatever that might look like and whatever my team needs to look like. I, I need this. You're worth treatment. You're worth recovery. You're worth, as your book says, Stace, you're worth saving. And um, yeah, you're, you're worth that investment in yourself. And, and I think speaking to maybe loved ones, because I've walked this journey, I think I had to come to a place where I realized, you know, and I'm sure you've both probably told this to families hundreds of times, there's no, you can't do recovery part-time, right? I mean, you can't, dip your toe in the water and say, okay, we're going to try this. We're just going to go half-hearted at it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for us building out a team, the inpatient steps and continuing on with your team, it's us saying we're committed wholeheartedly. It's, it's, it's a big chunk of our life, but it's also worth it. It's not something that's just going to be this little side project we have going on. And I think that we have to do that. I think you can't do it otherwise. Hey, we want to jump into something with, with both of you. And I know that, um, 
this is something you've both probably seen, studied, researched, and certainly it's uh, a significant issue in our culture today. But um, I'd love for he- to hear you both speak on this. But just, you know, as we look, you know, it's probably any time of year this is prominent. But if we head into spring, spring heading towards summer, you know, there's a lot of advertising for diets. Uh, it's kind of a whole culture built around dieting and, and all of those sorts of things. But what, um, how do you see diet culture, if we want to call it that, impacting mental health? Just mm-hmm. what have you seen in your practice, maybe just to even your research that that is either cause for concern or just some, some ways you would say, we need to be aware of this? I think for me personally, it comes up, I don't know, probably in every single session in small little ways for for my adolescent clients, it's showing up a lot via social media. Um, it's everywhere. I'm not a TikToker, but um, I think TikTok in particularly has really been affecting a lot of my adolescent clients. They have like, this is what I eat in a day or mm-hmm. I don't know, my body then, my body now. I don't know, I don't know yeah. what all it is, but um, I think what a lot of people don't realize is you don't actually know that that's what that person ate in a day. That's what they're telling you they ate in a day or um, a lot of the before and after pictures are just different angles of things, different sure. filters of things. So um, it's crazy what can be done. Um, a good account to follow is her name's Danae Mercer, and she kind of debunks all of these different filters and shows you different angles and things that influencers do to make them look a certain way. Um, and I think that I give that resource to all of my clients so they can explore that and get curious about um how fake I think diet culture is and how it's presented in social media. And um, it's really hard, I think, for body image stuff, just the comparing gets um, diet culture self-perpetuating. It sets the, the person up to go on this diet that is automatically going to be failed, but you get blamed and then it's this vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. So some self-esteem stuff, not good enoughness stuff gets involved mm-hmm. in diet, diet culture, which, you know, significantly can affect mental health, but not feeling like you look right or you're eating right. Um, even though we know there's not a right way to eat or to look, mm-hmm. but diet culture presents that very, very differently. Mm-hmm. And this diet culture I mean, been around for ages, right? This isn't a new conversation, but I think the difference is now how much access we have to mm-hmm. media that wasn't there before. So we might've had a lot of exposure like within our family systems and messages passed down from grandma and mom on a diet. And then, you know, you'll see kind of the progression through time when uh, the Weight Watchers or other, these, you know, Jenny Craig, these programs would start to pop up. And now, you know, compounding on that, we also have social media generation too. Mm-hmm. So not only are we dealing with the same old things that we've had for hundreds of years with family members talking <laughs> and diet, you know, diets on ads. And then now we have TikTok and Instagram and um, it's just kind of, what are you looking for and how is this being used? And then, you know, I've worked with some really, really young, um, young girls, you know, who have suffered from eating disorders and um, unfortunately, they're just exposed younger and younger and yeah. uh, comparing to, to their peers is a really natural developmental stage to be in. But it's just so much more heightened because of, I mean, they just you go home and you're not free from your peers. They're right there on your phone all mm-hmm. the time. So just hard, a hard, hard place to be, uh, to be a young person. And, and yeah, world. so mm-hmm. true. What connection, kind of a follow-up to that, what connection do you see particularly between diet culture and the development of eating disorders? I think for me, um, a lot of people go on diets. I think I read um, a few days ago something like 180 million Americans dieted in 2020, which is insane if you think about it, you know, but not all of those people go on to develop eating disorders. So I think you have to to bear in mind that some people's brains are genetically predisposed to developing an eating disorder. Yeah. And going on a diet is very, very risky for a brain that's primed for that. So mm-hmm. um, I think knowing your familiar history, like Alex was talking about, of mom and grandma and so on and so forth, 
um, had severe dieting, disordered eating or eating disorder, um, really taking into consideration if altering your eating would be, um, you know, a long-term decision that would be good for you or not. Um, and is, is it worth the risk? Um, so I worked with a physician and he would always say, you know, genetics load the, the trigger, wait, the gun and situation, mm-hmm. dieting, whatever pulls mm-hmm. the trigger Fire, on yeah. developing an eating disorder. So, right. um, I think for me, that's kind of how diet culture and eating disorder mm-hmm. are connected. And I think those who have eating disorders are way more prone and susceptible to falling for the lies that diet culture throws out there, um, getting down on themselves, kind of like we were just talking about in terms of body image or feeling like you're eating wrong and that kind of thing as compared to um, someone without an eating disorder. Yeah, I think that's something we talk about, or I found myself talking about in therapy a lot with young, you know, whether it's a young person or, um, you know, someone middle-aged adult, and they're, they just don't understand why can everyone else I know diet? Why can they do it? And it's not okay for me. Right. They're really like explaining, you know, the neuroscience behind it and biology of of, Mm -hmm. brain chemistry. Um, I think that can be really helpful in um, kind of countering like, yes, the diet culture is everywhere. So it feels like this is the norm and it's okay, but why is this not okay for you in particular? And giving a client permission to be mad about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you to be mad that you can't diet and your best friend can. Like, that's annoying. That sucks. And yeah. Kind of working through that in session too. You know, I just feel like if you think somebody is fighting hard and they're just like, yeah, eating disorders hard, then you stack on top of that the diet culture. You're just like going, ah, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't. Mm-hmm. So, so it's yeah, so good. so overwhelming. From everything we've seen and what we've heard from experts like you. It is a really significant issue that, um, and in the end, you know, most most of that culture, while it presents itself as being, hey, we're we're trying to make you healthier, we're trying to make you better, all these things. I mean, it's it's a it's a business, right? They're trying to make mm-hmm. money, and they're playing on kind of your personal, like like you said, self esteem issues or body image issues. They're playing off those things that, mm-hmm. in a way. It's manipulating you to even feel worse about yourself in the end. Right, exactly. And so it's mm-hmm. it's probably not the best for your mental health in, in the long run. Alex and Claire, I just wanted to know, are y'all seeing a rise in the diagnosis of eating disorder in patients? What are you seeing contributing to the increase, if so? I wonder, I, I don't know, maybe this connection of if there's actually more uh, people being diagnosed, or maybe we just have more information now, yeah. and we're just knowing how to screen it better and calling it for what it is. Um, and I think there's actually some positive movement in just the awareness bit, and um, you know, and now there's actually like anti-diet culture and other, you know, like Hayes models and these really wonderful resources that are fighting back. Um, so I'm hoping that you know, professionals can start seeing like, oh, this is what an eating disorder is, or this, or, you know, this is um, binge eating disorder, for example, you know, just all kinds of, um, it doesn't have to look a certain way that I think there was this long running, like a stereotype of what an eating disorder was. Um, so I, in my practice, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm seeing a, a rise, but I don't necessarily know if that's because there's more people or more people are just able to just talk about and be honest mm-hmm. um, and say, this is what I'm struggling with. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I don't, I don't know the the stats on it, so I don't want to pretend to know, but um, I don't know if there's more diagnoses or like Alex is saying, people are just more aware or there's like a name to call it versus I think clients who struggled with eating sort of 30, 40 years ago that I have just thought mm-hmm. that there was something wrong with them, but they didn't know what mm-hmm. was wrong with them. And yeah. doctors, there weren't a lot of therapists. Mental health had a lot of stigma around it, so it wasn't talked about as much. So I think now, like Alex was saying, there's different criterias. I think mm-hmm. pediatricians and physicians and ER doctors are, are screening more for eating issues and mental health issues. There's less stigma around it, which is amazing. Um, and it's just talked about more. So people, I think, are less embarrassed to have eating problems, mm-hmm. depression, anxiety that are contributing to eating issues. And there's more people educated to help screen and then place people to get help. Yeah. And I think, 
And from our perspective and from the family's perspective, I think a lot of times, um, you know, you're not thinking about, oh, eating disorder treatment until the crisis hits. And, and, mm-hmm. and at least for me, you know, and maybe I've always said that that fine line is there between optimism and denial. And I've probably lived on the side of denial much longer than I should have thinking I was being optimistic, you know. And so I think, you know, for us, we we don't you don't dive into it because you don't want to dive into it because you think, oh, it's just it's a season. It's going to pass. It's going to be OK. But I'll never forget, um, you know, the first family week I attended, there was a parent there because all the, the family of adolescents and adult patients were all together. And, and this man just was broken, really. And he just you know, talked about how it was like a bomb had gone off in their family. And how they were at this moment of crisis, and you know, a bomb goes off. You, you're kind of you are shell shocked, right? You don't know mm-hmm. what to do or where to reach out to for help. So I think for for so many people, they just you know, and we still encounter this when we talk to. We have people that call us and family members that call us. It's just like a, they're at loss for well, what do I do? Where do I first get help? And I think you know, the the, the more prevalent your practices are. I know we've all served together with the Oklahoma Eating Disorder Association. We really strive to have resources listed and even just a little bit, hey, here's if you think someone's struggling or you're struggling or your loved one is, here are some things to do. Here are some steps to take. Just because I, I know we've felt lost. I've certainly felt lost. Like, where do you even turn to find help and what do you do? So, you know, with that thought in mind, if someone is listening, is struggling, with an eating disorder, or maybe they haven't even self-diagnosed. They just feel like they could be, or it's eating in some way is a challenge for them, or they think it's maybe their loved one, it's a challenge. Um, What encouragement and hope can you give them, or would you give them? Obviously, we're not saying asking you to do therapy over the session here. (laughs) From your, your experience and what you've been able to see in your practices and careers, what encouragement is, and hope is there for them? I think that's so important is to get to that next step sometimes is to be able to see the hope uh, that's out there in the midst of the struggle. Yeah, I think um, for me, what gives, I think, me hope that I can then share with my clients and you all today is that people do get better all the time from eating disorders. Um, not to say that they don't still struggle, but I call it struggling well, where they're able to function and take care of themselves and intrusive food thoughts, body image thoughts become fewer and far between. Um, I think we've touched on it today also that there's a lot more resources out there. It's being talked about more. Um, There's a lot more free resources. So just online support groups, I think just different social media outlets to connect with people to get some support. and. we have people like Alex who are helping to train and influence new therapists. And um, I don't know. I just feel like we're moving in a good direction. There's um, like Alex touched on to an anti-diet culture that is coming, I think, to be more popular and prevalent. And so I don't know. I just see a bright future for the, the field of eating disorders and for the people seeking treatment for their eating disorder. Yeah. And it's funny. We I just talked about this in class the other day. I, I teach a multicultural and diversity course. And you know, I pull up this video of um, like the interview young kids about like, gender and um, bodies and what can boys do and girls do. And these young kids were just so aware and they had so much more knowledge um, than I remember like my generation. I don't feel like I'm that old. So I'm just, that kind of gave me hope. I was like, I remember in my graduate studies, the videos were much different. It was very uh, black and white, you know? And, and so I'm hopeful that, you know, some of this, there's some pros with some of the social media, um, as long mm-hmm. as you're kind of looking for the right thing. Um, so people can access support. They can have resources. They can um, make your For You page on TikTok, be all support and recovery and right. focused. And, yeah unfollow the stuff that does not serve you. Um, so, and Claire and I have seen so many people get well and I truly, I mean, I really miss family week just for that recovery speaker. <laughs> yeah. um, just hearing those stories sometimes is, I mean, it really touches your heart and I think it'd be really inspiring and encouraging for someone who's just in the throes of it. So. Mm-hmm. And I think just being in this field for, I don't know, 12 years now, slowly <laughs> focusing on eating disorders. Um, 
there's so many new treatment centers popping up and there's a lot more access to higher levels of care if you need it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that gives me hope too, that it's becoming a more recognized mental illness that needs treatment, that needs specialized care. Um, And, you know, then gets a lot of other people involved in the field with different creative ideas and we're all constantly learning from each other. So I don't know. It's exciting. It'll be interesting to see what the recovery world is like in another 12 years from now, because I'm sure it'll be, you know, very different. Absolutely. That's so hopeful to hear y'all say, because I'm from the patient client perspective and um, I just... I'm just so thankful that y'all are in this realm and that you're so smart about it. And I, I, I don't know what other word to use other than smart and invested in all the things um, that you are, because um, if you are somebody who needs to go in, like I I get asked all the time, why did you just go away seven years ago when you've had it for so, so long and nobody even offered it. We didn't even know to go. And so that's a very common question. But also, it felt like a a long time ago that treatment and help with outpatient treatment, too, were for privileged. And what I, you know, it was so expensive and different things like that. But um, by the same token, I know that there are ways to you know, to get the help that you need, people working with you and they care about your life so much. Yes, it's them making their living, but they care about your life so much and often more than you do when you when you meet them. Mm -hmm. I can never I'll never forget when I got to the uh, to the the first part of treatment where it's um, not a hospital, but it feels more a little bit like that. Um, And um, I was wheeled through the doors and on the counter were some roses were some roses from Doug and the little card said make it work Stacy and that's what I Doug is the kindest person but maybe you're one of the people that is supporting somebody else and you're here in this podcast today and you're like, I don't know if I can get them there. I don't know if I can do the hard thing or I don't know if I can get them in with a counselor or therapist dietitian. And, you know, you may not be the most popular person at that moment, but sometimes you have to do the hard thing because the person may be just too sick or too um, tunnel vision at that point in order to get to the help that they need. And then I would say to you, as the person who needs the help, there is no um, there is no weakness in saying, like Doug mentioned earlier, in saying, I need help to get from point A to even point B. And then I'll look at the rest later. But I need help from point A to point B and make it work. I knew that I wasn't probably going to be able to go to treatment 10 times. I'm not judging people who do. But I had children at home. And I knew that I needed to go in and make it work. And it was messy. And I cried a lot. And I was, you know, scared a lot. And um. But these people who we're talking to today, Alex and Claire, are trained on what to do in order to help you get not from point A to point B, but all the way through. And so that that way, when you need to to leave um, your appointment or inpatient or anything like that, that you are bolstered in a way that you've never been before. And it's going to be okay. I just I want you to know it's going to be okay. Not because I have heard it's okay, but because I'm alive. And so um, I I don't take that for granted. I still struggle, struggling well, Claire said, is the key. Yeah. Well, I think to summarize a lot of that, too, uh, from what you said earlier, hope begins with help. And and that's where you can you can begin to see hope. And you guys are hope givers Mm -hmm. to so many people. Mm -hmm. You've been hope givers in our lives Mm -hmm. that have really made a difference. And and we can't thank you enough for that. And Mm -hmm. just, um, you know, for, for what's your work personally, for your investment in Laureate and, and the impact it's had on so many thousands of people, um, you know, it, it, it begins there. So if you're out there today needing hope, hope begins with help. Hey, something we ask every one of our interviewees, as we wrap up each session, what's giving you hope today, personally? And we just open it up wide. So it could be, you know, something in your personal life. We don't, we're not trying to pry, but it also could be professionally, just something, uh, 
you know, uh, I don't know if you've thought about this, but maybe what's giving you hope in your life today? Well, I, I told, um, Doug before we started that I have a little girl that she's turning one next week. Um, so everything I do, you know, as a new mom, I still consider myself a new mom is, is for her because of her. Um, so that gives me hope, like what messages can I, um, and values can I instill in her to help her if she, cause she will, she'll have her body in the struggles <laughs> and she'll have peer pressure and social media. Um, so how can I, um, help, you know, make that process just a little bit easier if I can. And, um, and I think I, I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of good stories, you know, and they're good because people get well. Um, sure. So we can, we can see them go through that hard stuff and come out um, in a much better place. Great. Mm-hmm. That's good, Alex. Well, today the beautiful weather is giving me hope. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's something about this time of year that feels like things start fresh yes. and I don't know, just having more energy, feeling more connected to things. Um, Tina. I don't know if Tina's giving me hope. <laughs> Tina's giving me headaches, but her new foster, her new foster. Yeah, my new dog. Uh, <laughs> I have hope that Tina will turn into an angel dog, though. Just true statement. Um, but yeah, I think just excitement, scheduling new clients gives me hope that mm. people are. And I want to back up. I said people have to be willing. Not only really have to be willing, but you have to be curious about getting well. So yeah. I feel like you know, just having people continually call gives me hope that people are wanting help. Kind of how mm-hmm. Doug said, hope starts with help. Is that how it goes? I always mix up all of my phrases. <laughs> we'll go with it. We'll go with it. It sounds yeah. great. So yeah, I think just newness and willingness and curiosity gives mm-hmm. me hope every day. That's amazing. Amazing. Well, hey, with the daylight, we're celebrating that it looks like maybe they're going to make daylight saving stuff. Yes. Right? Yes. Know, that something maybe so we can all agree on. And extra hour daylight, right? So. I just can't thank y'all enough for just caring for people. Yeah. Putting people as a job and as a profession is understating what y'all do. Um, it really is. Um, because if you didn't care so much about people like me, not that I'm like... Yeah, but um, it we wouldn't know what to do, and so because of you, you light the way so that we can um have hope, and I can go to Dallas and see my two daughters and eat a cookie at the mall with them. And um, Claire would always tell me, "Do hard things, Stacy. You can do hard <laughs> things." And um, that is a hard thing for me to this day. But because of people like you, Alex, and you, Claire, people are able to live. Thank you, Stacy. I think that's a great way to wrap this up. We're going to include this information in the show notes. Um, so how you can find Claire and Alex in yes. their practice, yeah. if you'd like to learn more about what they do and their, and their treatment of eating disorders. But just real quickly, maybe tell folks how they could find you with its website or your, your social media handles, whatever the best way, if they're interested in maybe seeking out some help or just learning more about eating disorders, where would you where would you have them go to find you? Yes. So for me, I think my information's on the OEDA website. If it's not, um, you have a website, it's tastelifenutritiontherapy.com. And we also have an Instagram account called Taste Life Tulsa, all one word. Yeah. And my practice is called Heart Therapy. Um, my website's yourhearttherapy.com and uh, Instagram um, is at your heart therapy. So best way to reach me for private practice stuff. Um, and then of course, if you need to, on the counselor, the educator piece, um, just search for an NSU in Broken Arrow campus. Okay, great. And we're going to print that out in the show notes. So mm-hmm. those of you listening can go there to, to find that and uh, track that down and, and click on those links if you'd like. So, Hey, we are so thankful today yeah. for for our guests, special friends, for giving mm-hmm. us their time. Uh, funny moment. We got about 10 minutes in. I hit, I failed to hit record. <laughs> and we had to start <laughs> over. So thanks for giving us extra time today. So we really appreciate that. Um, but uh, we appreciate you, our listeners. And thank you for joining us again for another episode of the Speak Out Loud podcast. Uh, we would just love you for you to, to follow along. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can be notified whenever new releases are coming out. You can follow us on, we have both Facebook and, and Instagram pages for the podcast, as well as Stacy's Speak Out Loud platform that she has. 
So uh, check us out there. And, and two, we'd love for you to pick up a copy of Stacy's book. I referenced it earlier. It's titled You Are Worth Saving. You can get it both uh, in a physical copy. You can also download it as an audio book off Audible. So go to Amazon to purchase it or go to Audible to download it. You can find that there. And Stacy does a great job as the narrator of her own story. And I think it's really impactful. And I think it really uh, mean a lot to you and bless you and minister to, minister to you in many, many different ways. So we'd love for it you. It is to wonderful. That. I will no. test. I've read it. <laughs> we didn't even you. ask her to say that. So thank you, Claire. Yeah, I didn't even get paid to say that. <laughs> yeah, cash app. Yeah. So we, uh, we appreciate that very much. But uh, hey, we'd love for you to just invite you along on this journey. Our mission and purpose of the Speak Out Loud podcast is to share hope and encouragement for those who struggle with all mental illnesses. As part of our journey, we can speak deeply into to eating disorders, to depression, to anxiety. But for those that struggle with all different mental illnesses, from our experience also, for those who love and support them, we want to share hope and encouragement to them. So we would love for you to follow us and be a part of that journey with us as we build a community of hope. Thank you, guys. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Until next time, we're out for the Speak Out Loud podcast.